Welcome to the podcast of Follow Baptist Church. Our vision and mission is to follow Jesus in our community for His glory. We hope and pray that you are blessed, challenged and inspired by this message. For more information on Follow Church, you can visit our website at www.followchurch.com.au. I'm reading the text and we're in uh, Isaiah chapter 58, verses 1 through to verse 12. Shout it aloud and do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to their descendants of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what is right and is not for, has not forsaken the commandments of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near to them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit it all and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarrels and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is this what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is, it, uh, uh, is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? Verse 6. It's to loose the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? And when you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your, real, will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here I am. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing fingers and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the need of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in the sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a, a well-watered garden and like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will rise up the age-old foundation. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. This is the word of the Lord. May the Lord bless his word to our hearts. Thank you, Ray. Well, today is week one of our BRICS series. And uh, we're going to look at four different topics over the next four weeks, which are really pivotal to the future of our church. And so next week, week two, we're going to look at vision. And as I said before, the vision of our church is Jesus. Uh, we're unapologetic about that. Our mission is to follow Jesus in our community for his glory. And so we want to keep coming back to keep the big thing the big thing. And we uh, exist as a church to proclaim the name of Christ. And so week two will be vision and the importance of seeing what others can't see. That's what I'm going to focus on next week. Uh, week three, we're going to look at faith. 
And that's obviously incredibly important for us as Christians. Uh, God says without faith, it's impossible to please him. That we are to be people who live by faith and not by sight. And so that's important as well. And then the last week, we're going to talk about sacrifice. We're going to celebrate communion together that day and the pledge forms will come in and they'll tie in with that theme of sacrifice. And when you look at the gospel, at the middle uh, of the gospel message, you'll find the most incredible um, demonstration of sacrifice you'll ever see. When Jesus Christ, the sinless Son of God, died on the cross on our behalf, giving his life for sinners like you and me. And then Jesus says, as followers of him, our mission, if we want to be disciples, is to deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow him as sacrificial people. And so they're really important themes. Today we're starting with prayer and fasting. And as I've already said, I'm really excited about this month because the passage we're looking at today shows what can happen in God's people when they fast and dedicate that time to seek God's face in prayer. As I said before, my guess is that many of you have heard lots of teaching on prayer, but most of you probably haven't heard much teaching on fasting. And I think this is probably the most profound, magnificent passage in all of Scripture when it comes to the issue of fasting. And I think it's important that we talk about both of them because they're both spiritual, important, valuable spiritual disciplines, and they really go hand in hand. And I think we all know that prayer is the fuel of everything we do in our Christian lives. And it needs to remain central uh, at Follow Baptist Church. We need to be a praying church. And so the calendar up the back is all about that. Imagine one day, if you look at that calendar, and you can see that we're a 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week praying church, where every hour throughout the week is covered in prayer. I reckon that would be absolutely awesome. But we want to be a praying church. I've read two helpful books in previous years on prayer. One's by Tim Keller, and one's by Philip Yancey. And they sought God in prayer about the titles of their book. And they came up with something very creative. This one's called Prayer. And this one's called Prayer as well. Um, but I commend both of these books to you on prayer, funny enough. Uh, and they've got some really helpful stuff in there. And I want to read a couple of quotes. The first one is from this book, uh, Tim Keller. And he says this about prayer. He says, Prayer is both conversation and encounter with God. We must know the awe of praising his glory the intimacy of finding his grace and the struggle of asking his help, all of which can lead us to know the spiritual reality of his presence. Yancey did a lot of research with people before he wrote his book, and this is what he said. He said, I interviewed ordinary people about prayer. Typically, the results went like this. Is prayer important to you? Oh, yes. How often do you pray? Every day. Approximately how long? Five minutes, maybe seven. Do you sense the presence of God when you pray? Occasionally, but not often. He said, many of those I talk to experience prayer more as a burden than as a pleasure. They regarded it as important, even paramount, and felt guilty about their failure, blaming themselves. And then he asked the question, does this sound familiar? And I think this morning, it probably sounds familiar for most of us. We all feel like we could do better when it comes to prayer, and yet we think prayer is so important in our lives. We know from Scripture that we can go boldly and confidently into the throne room of God, knowing that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. In 2 Chronicles chapter 7, he says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, that's what fasting is all about, it's about humbling yourself. If they will humble themselves and pray, 
and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin. And I love this last bit. He says, and I will heal their land. What a beautiful passage that is. In in Thessalonians, we're told to pray without ceasing. In the book of Ephesians, we're told to pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. In James chapter 5, we're told that the prayer of the righteous is powerful and it's effective. And so prayer is pivotal. And yet so easily are we distracted from prayer to the point that it almost seems like there's some kind of enemy trying to stop us from praying. That's an interesting thought, isn't it? This is where fasting is such a great spiritual discipline because it creates space and it creates focus for prayer in our lives. Instead of doing some of the things that are part of everyday life like eating or sleeping or social media or technology or TV, we deliberately fast from those things and we put them aside for a season so that we can instead dedicate that time to prayer. As we prepare to head into the next season as a church, we feel that a time of prayer and fasting will help us to be spiritually attuned to what God is wanting to do. And so I would encourage you, and we would love each of you to spend this time to grow in your intimacy with God, to spend time in His presence, to consider your own life and faith, and to ask God how He can guide you and lead you and use your life with all of your gifts and abilities and resource to live your life for the glory of God. And I think this month could actually be transformational. And I'm actually really excited about it because I think that's what excites me, that that lives could be transformed as we earnestly seek God. Today we're looking at a wonderful passage of Scripture from Isaiah chapter 58 that will help us as we fast in August and it will highlight how this season actually can be transformational in each of our lives. As I read through the passage many times this week, it became apparent that there are three main sections in this passage. The first section um, really highlights what a false fast looks like. You'll see at the start in the first five verses that God's people are fasting, but it's not something that God's pleased about. And so we see an idea of what a false fast looks like. In the middle section, God then says that fasting is pathetic, but this is what a true fast looks like. And so from verses 6 to 9, he outlays and downplays for us what prayer and what fasting should look like when it's done in its truest sense. And in the last section, verses 8 to 12, it talks about the transformational power of prayer and fasting. And so we're going to start by looking at false fasting. As we head into a season of prayer and fasting, it's important to know that there is true fasting, but there's also false fasting. And so we don't want to get 25 days down the road only to realise what we've been doing doesn't please God and he hasn't even been listening to our prayers. And so we need to know what a false fast looks like. In Isaiah 58, God's people are fasting, but in verse 1 we see that God's not happy with it. He says to the prophet Isaiah, shout it out aloud. He says, raise your voice like a trumpet. Don't hold back. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. It gets worse. In verse 3, the people say, why have we fasted and you haven't seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you haven't noticed? And in verse 4, God says, you cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. The people are fasting. But God doesn't see it, he doesn't notice it, he doesn't even hear their prayers. And that's kind of a scary thought, isn't it? That we can live our Christian lives doing a whole bunch of spiritual activity, looking busy for the Lord, 
But if the motivation of our heart isn't right as we're doing all of that stuff, it really is meaningless. And so why was this fast that these people were undertaking, why was it a false fast? Well, the first thing I notice in verses 2 and 3 is that it's clear that their fasting wasn't genuine. It didn't come from a genuine desire to know God and to seek his face. I went to, had the opportunity a few years ago to go overseas to Kuala Lumpur. And we went over there for a church conference and we were able to sort of snowball that into a family holiday attached to it as well. And the kids were pretty thrilled because we were staying in a hotel that was connected to a theme park. And so they were really stoked. I mean, Lenny wasn't. He wasn't even a twinkle in the eye yet. But the girls, they were really excited about this theme park. But for me, apart from the conference, the thing I was excited about was the night markets in Kuala Lumpur. If you've been there, some people I can hear have been there, and um, we were travelling with people that had been to Kuala Lumpur before, and, and they were telling us about these night markets, and they said, you can go there and you can get anything you want, and it's dirt cheap. You can get new Nikes if you want, you can get brand name clothing, you can get uh, handbags and man bags, you can get designer sunnies, uh, you can get it all there and it's really cheap. And, and also, they told us about the culture that you can barter with the people in the stores, if you go into Rebel Sport, you can't barter with the person behind the counter about the, the price of your shoes. But when you go there, the cultural experience is that you learn to barter. And so they'll always start high. So they'll say, that's $200. And you say, I'll give you five. And they go, all right, eight. <laughs> and so you can barter and negotiate the price. And I, I don't usually like doing that, but I was looking forward to this cultural experience. And so before we went, I wrote down a list of things on my wish list that I'd like to get while I was in KL. And one of the things I really wanted to get was a fancy watch. I wanted to get one of those watches that didn't need batteries, that you could shake them and the time just worked. And it was one of those ones that you could see all the cogs inside the glass turning around, like super fancy. And I'd heard that in KL at the markets, there were stalls that had these kinds of watches. And so I'm working my way through the market, I've got bags full of stuff, and I finally get to like the, the oasis in the distance, it was the watch stand. And I get there and I look at the stand and, and wouldn't you know it, the watch that I'd researched before I left, that was $2,000 Australian dollars, was right there in the store. In fact, they had it in three different colours. And, and instead of paying $2,000, I talked them down to $15 and I got three for 40. <laughs> and, and so you can imagine, I was pretty stoked. And so I get this watch and I get these three watches and I get back to Australia and I'm walking around with this thing and I feel like Kanye West, you know, I've got the bling showing and, and people are looking at the watch going, wow, what a watch. And they're like, is that a Rolex? And I'm like, yes, it is. <laughs> Pastor's wage. Uh, that was a joke. And so for the, for the next week, I'm walking around feeling like a king with this awesome watch on. And then a week and a half, I was walking down the street and I heard a rattling sound. And I couldn't quite work out what it was and I kept walking and I happened to glance at my watch to, to look at the time and I was, you know, in a, a moment of quite admiration at this glorious watch was shining in the sun and then in my horror I realised that my amazing Rolex watch had no hands on it. <laughs> and the rattling noise I heard were the, were the hands rattling around inside the glass. And so I, I couldn't get a refund at this point and I was pretty disappointed but I thought, it's alright, I've got three of them. Within a month, I had three glorious Rolex watches with no hands on them. <laughs> and you know what the problem is, don't you? That it appeared genuine, although I had my concerns when it was $15, I must admit. <laughs> but it appeared genuine, but the problem was it was a fake. And that is why God's people were in a false fast. They seemed genuine, but they weren't. I mean, if you look at their appearance on the outside, you would go, wow, they are incredibly 
spiritual people. You could be fooled into thinking that they were the real deal. And look at verse 2. It says, day after day, they seek me out. They're praying. They're seeking God. It says, they seem eager to know my ways. They want to know God's will. As if they were a nation that does what is right and not forsaken the commands of God. They ask me for just decisions. They've got this moral compass that seems to be working. And they seem eager for God to come near them. It seems like they want intimacy with God. I mean, if you looked at these people, even their physical appearance screams out, we are spiritual. In verse 5, it says they're bowing their head like a reed and they're lying in sackcloth and ashes. And they're trying to look spiritual. They want everyone to know that they're fasting. And this is the exact behavior that Jesus warns against, isn't it, in Matthew's gospel. He says, if you fast, or when you fast, he doesn't say if you fast, he says when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they're fasting, but truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head, wash your face, so that it will not be obvious that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. If we were in church with these people, if we were sitting next to them this morning, we could go, wow, I wish my faith was like theirs. If only I could be that godly. If only I could be that spiritual. But on the inside, something very different was going on. Their appearance wasn't as it seemed, and that was certainly the case in their lives. I think the most damning word, which appears twice in verse 2, is the word seem. It says, they seem eager to know God's ways. They seem eager for God to come near, but then God reveals their hearts to us, and we see it's nothing more than a facade. I mean, in verse 3, it says that they're fasting, and, and when you fast, you seek the will of God, and you seek the face of God, and it would make sense that if you were doing that, you would be living for God, but it says the same time that they're apparently seeking God's face, they're doing the very things God hates, they're exploiting their workers. How could they be genuinely seeking God and then it not flowing into their lives at all? This fast was not genuine. The second thing I noticed about it is it wasn't joyful. I mean, they're fasting and they're incredibly grumpy about it. Now, I get it. Sometimes when we get hungry, we get hangry. And I know that because I'm married to a a wife who's now left the room, which is ideal, and she (laughs) suffers from the condition of hangriness. And if she doesn't get the meal when she needs it, she'll eat my arm off. And sometimes we, uh, we get angry when we're hungry. And I don't know if you remember the Snickers ads a few years ago, but the catch cry was, you're not you when you're hungry. The end result was that Snickers will solve the problems of the world. We remember the ad. But you're not yourself when you're hungry. And I don't know whether people in Isaiah's day were short of Snickers, but what I do know is that their fasting wasn't leading to anything good. In fact, it was ending up in punch-ups. Wicked fists striking each other. Now, we're going into a time of prayer and fasting this month. And let me just say, as your pastor, I will be very disappointed if it ends up with fist fights here on a Sunday morning because you're hungry. It seems ridiculous to mention it, doesn't it? That if we go into a season where we're seeking God, where we're in his presence, that that would ever lead to punching up. But it highlights how ingenuine and how unjoyful their fasting was. There was quarreling and strife. There was tension and friction. 
And even though they were doing a great job of trying to let everyone know how spiritual they were, if you scratch below the surface and you look behind the scenes, you see it wasn't genuine and it wasn't joyful. It wasn't a true fast. God says you cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? Of course, the answer to that rhetorical question is a resounding in capital letters, no. I pray that as we come into a month of prayer and fasting, that God would fill our hearts with joy, that we would seek to genuinely encounter God, not just in a one-way conversation that prayer often is, but in a two-way encounter. That as we spend time in his presence, that there would be a genuine desire to grow in intimacy with him. Because we can fool one another, but we can't fool God. God's not impressed with their fasting. And he won't be happy with ours if it's not genuine and it's not joyful. And so in verses 6 to 9, after highlighting that their fast was a false one, he now gives us the blueprint of what fasting actually looks like. If you look to verse 6, this is true fasting. He says, Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and to break every yoke, is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Uh, verse 9b, if you do away with the yoke of impression, oppression, with the pointing finger and the malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, this is what a true fast should look like. What do you notice about the fast? I notice that the fast is incredibly active, that it actually leads to us living a life where we don't just care about ourselves, but we care about others. I think when we typically think about a fast, we think of times of solitude and silence and prayer and being in the presence of God, and there are all legitimate things that happen within a fast, but a fast should also have an outward flow in our lives. If I could sum up what God's wanting their fasting to lead to, I would say from verses 6 and 7 that he wants them to stop acting wickedly and to start acting lovingly. When we fast and we seek God's face, we cannot help but be changed if our fast is genuine and joyful. Baker's commentary on the Bible puts it simply, says the love of God must show itself in a love for one's neighbour. Godliness is not shown by appearing outwardly pious, but by being sensitive to the sufferings of people. Fasting is something we do in order to grow in intimacy with God. And as we encounter his heartbeat through prayer, through his word, through reflection and meditation, we will be transformed to be more like him and to care about the things that he cares about. Some people would say that it's fasting that changed the hearts of these people. They just fasted and they stopped eating food and it changed their heart. But I don't think it's the fasting that changed them. I think it's the encounter they have with God the time they spent in his presence. And as they encountered God's heart, what his, his concern became their concern, and it flowed outwards in their lives to the people God loves. This is what a true fast is. You see, fasting doesn't change God. Fasting changes us. And it changes us to become more like him. Fasting is not a pious activity that we can participate in to manipulate or twist God's arm. But fasting at its best 
is not seeking God for what we want, as if we've got an end result in mind that I'll find a life partner or I'll pay off my mortgage or I'll have enough money for a building or I'll, you know, whatever it might be, get a new job. Fasting is at its best when we don't seek God for what we want, but we seek God for who he is. As we seek God for who he is, the amazing thing that happens is that his will becomes our will. His ways become our ways. His heartbeat becomes our heartbeat. And so fasting is not a chance to lose a few kilos and look spiritual in the process. It's an opportunity through prayer and reflection to reconnect with the heartbeat of God, the heartbeat of Christ, and to rededicate ourselves to being the people he's calling us to be. Last week I was so encouraged by the Zoe Foundation. If you weren't here last week, the Zoe Foundation came and they do a whole lot of work in Thailand where they go to help kids in sex trafficking and rescue them and then help rehabilitate them and to care for them long term. And I was particularly encouraged because David and Andrea, who helped head that up, are people that I knew in a previous life in a church that I used to pastor at. And back then I knew David as a businessman and I knew Andrea as a school teacher. And I was really encouraged a few years down the track to see them up here again last week and to see what's happened when they had an encounter with God, when they encountered his heartbeat for those kids, those kids that sometimes we think have been forgotten, but they are never forgotten by God. God did something in their life and his heartbeat became their heartbeat and they made a decision to follow the call of God to leave the comforts of Australia with their young children and all their friends and family and to go to another country they'd never lived in before where they could give their lives to the Lord to help these children. I think that's absolutely inspiring. This is what happens when we encounter God. I'm just as encouraged in our local region through a ministry like the Food Van. And just read through the passage of what a true fast is. And it says a true fast is when we feed the hungry. Were we doing that at the van? Tick. It's to provide the poor wanderer with shelter. Are we doing that? Absolutely. There's a tent down there. We've provided um, resources to help people get into permanent housing now. And so we're helping people find shelter. Have we clothed the naked? Well, we haven't seen any naked people down there yet. But we know there are people who are struggling. We give them clothes every week. And so we're clothing people who are poor and disadvantaged in our region. And I've got to say, of all the ministries I've ever been involved in, I have never seen the blessing of God upon any ministry like the food van. There are people ringing me saying, can we raise money for you? You're a church. That doesn't happen. Can we raise money for you? We've got over 100 volunteers now. More than half of them are community volunteers that say, we want to come and we want to partner with you to make a difference in our community. And it feels like God's blessing is all over. And I'll tell you why. Because we've connected with the heartbeat of God. And as we connect with God's heartbeat and we become his hands and feet, he pours out his strength and his blessing on what we're doing so that we can have an impact on the people that he cares about. And it's a wonderful thing. A wonderful thing. This is the kind of the fasting that the Lord wants. Not some pious religious activity, but rather a dynamic, transformative encounter as we spend time in his presence. And as we corporately enter into a time such as this, I wonder what new ideas might come from this time. I wonder what God may speak to us. I I hope and pray that he would light a fire and a passion for the lost that he would give us a new heart for people in our lives that are far from God, that he would open our eyes to the things in our workplaces, that we would have a passion to reach people for the glory of God. Perhaps he'll call some of you to the mission field. 
Perhaps he'll highlight things he wants you to get involved in. Perhaps he'll show you things that you can do to be his hands and feet in your areas or your spheres of influence. And so we see what a false fast is. We see what a true fast is, and a true fast is one that changes our life. The final thing I want to highlight is the transformational power of prayer and fasting. I want you to notice in this passage the, the before and the after picture of God's people. I don't know if you've ever seen the Weight Watchers ads or the Jenny Craig ads back in the day, but they would have two photos, a before and after. And they would show someone before, and they would paint a picture of someone who's unhealthy. Maybe they've eaten the wrong things or too much or haven't exercised. And on the outside uh, appearance, they don't look fit. But on the inside, they're probably unhealthy. But then afterwards, they show a photo of the same person after going through that particular program. And sometimes you've got to squint as you look and you think, is that the same person? The transformation is so incredible that they are unrecognisable. That's what's happening in this passage. In verses 1 to 3, we see what God's people were. And in verses 8 to 12, he holds up the after picture and he says, this is what you could be if you entered into a true fast where you encountered me in prayer and you sought my face. It's a complete transformation and these people become unrecognisable. We see the change most strikingly in two ways. First of all, in their relationship with God and second of all, in their impact on the world. If you look back to the early verses, you see what's happening. The relationship is not there. But now in verse 8, it says these words. It says, If you spend time seeking my face in genuine and joyful fasting, you will be changed. Then it says, You, your light, will break forth like the dawn. And your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of God will be your rear guard. Now go back to verses 2 and 3 and you'll remember that we had a group of people who were fasting but God didn't see them, he didn't hear them, he didn't even notice what they were doing. It didn't please him. But now we see the same people as they turn their affection to God, they now are completely surrounded by the blessing and presence of God. The righteousness has gone before them, the glory of God's their rear guard, and they are fully immersed in God in relationship. It's a beautiful picture of what relationship can be like, that God would go before us and that he'd have our back in everything we do in life. It goes on and it says, verse 9, Then you will call me. And I will answer you. You will cry for help, and the Lord will say, Here am I. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun scorched land. He will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. I don't know if you've seen a garden that hasn't been watered for a long time, but it looks dead. And then you you walk into a a tropical garden that's alive and well-watered and it's flourishing and full of life. And when you look at these people after that season of seeking God's face, that's what their relationship with God looks like. I don't know about you, but if I could describe what I wanted my relationship with God to look like, it's this, that I would be fully alive in him, healthy, strong, genuine, a, a, a relationship where he's meeting my needs, where he's giving me strength, where I'm flourishing in everything that I do. It's not a ritualistic religious activity to fast, but rather a dynamic, life-changing relationship. And I don't know where each of you are at today. Some of you may feel like you're that dry garden spiritually, that you feel like you're flat, that you're not moving forward in your faith. There may be others at the other end of the spectrum and you feel like you're fully alive, 
The thing that excites me about the next 25 days as we seek God's face is that regardless of where you are on that spectrum, I think we can step into a new um, kind of experience of God's presence as we dedicate this time to him. And I'm excited about that. I think that's an amazing thing. And I pray in the next 25 days that many of you, God would stir your affections for him, that you wouldn't just have conversations, but you'd have an encounter with God. And so we look at the passage and we see their relationship is completely different. The before picture is awful. The after picture is incredible. But I want to finish by also highlighting that the impact they have on the world is completely different as well. In verse 12, it says, Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You'll be called the repairer of broken walls, the restorer of streets with dwellings. Now, most scholars believe this is referring to the redevelopment of a post-exile Jerusalem. But I wonder for us today what it could mean for us in our context in 2017 here in Officer. What could it mean to raise up the old foundations Well, I don't know about you, but I think our country was built on the foundations of Christ. I think people used to stand on the word of God. And when we look at what the foundation of our world is, we can see it in the the book of John. It says, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word is God. The foundation of all creation is Jesus Christ. And so what could it look like for you and I as the called people of God in the officer region? What could it look like for us to raise up the old foundations? Well, I think it could look like standing on God's word in a culture where people have abandoned it and neglected it, where they see it as outdated and old-fashioned and irrelevant. Perhaps God's calling us to be the people who stand on his word no matter what, that lift up his name over this region even when it's not popular. What could it mean for us to be the repairer of broken walls? Well, if you know the statistics in the Kadinia and Casey Shire, you'll know that we are completely immersed and surrounded by an epidemic of family breakdown and domestic abuse. It's rampant. There's all sorts of brokenness that happens within the four walls of the houses that surround us all the time. What if God's calling us not only to invest in loving our own families and to making sure that they are Christ-centred and healthy, but what if God is calling us to step into those spaces where there's that brokenness, to present Jesus to the families that are falling apart, that are far from him? What if God's calling us to be the people that he will use to bring healing into those circumstances? What could it mean to be the restorer of streets with dwellings? Or what if God's calling us to be in our community, to take Jesus into our streets as we care for the sick and the lonely and most of all the lost? Church, Jesus is calling us to be the light of the world. What an exciting calling that is. And as the world gets darker in this community, our light can break forth like the dawn and our darkness shall be like the noonday. What if God's calling us to bring healing to our world as we share the good news of the gospel that Jesus died for sinners and can give us new life? The transformation is what makes me so excited about this month because we're already a church full of passionate people, people who are passionate about Jesus. But what if every individual and every family, what if the spiritual temperature just went up two degrees? Which people could be saved as a result of these 25 days? Which people could be transformed? Which people could we connect with? What things could happen in your life in this season? What could happen in our families? What could happen in our church? What could happen in our community? We don't even need to imagine 
what it could look like because we see it in Isaiah 58. And I think God is saying this is what we can be in Christ. I'm going to finish this sermon by substituting the word you from verses 8 to 12. I'm going to put in the word follow Baptist Church. And I think that's a completely acceptable thing to do because the word you is referring to God's people and that's all this is. It's God's people gathered together in this local region to worship him and to be on mission. And so I'm going to substitute that word and I think you'll see this passage come alive. If we genuinely and joyfully seek God, if we humble ourselves, if we encounter his presence, we will be transformed. Verse 8, then follow Baptist church, light will break forth like the dawn. And follows healing and officer and beyond will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be follows rear guard. Then follow will call and the Lord will answer. We will cry for help and he will say, here am I. The Lord will guide, follow always. I want that, don't you want that? That he'd guide us. He will satisfy our needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen our frame. Follow will be like a well-watered garden. Like a spring whose waters never fail, follow will rebuild the ancient ruins and raise up the age-old foundations. Follow will be called the repairer of broken walls. Follow will be the restorer of streets with dwellings. That sounds like the vision of a church I want to be part of. And I pray it's a vision of a church you want to be part of as well. A church that's intimate with God, a church that experiences his blessing, a church that he uses to transform the southeast growth corridor of Melbourne and beyond. As we come into a season genuinely seeking God's face, a season where the distractions are put aside, a season of prayer, a season of repentance, a season of action, the change could be remarkable. It could be transformational. It could be supernatural.